Welcome to the Dunwoody Community Church Podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to listen in to one of our Sunday services, and we hope that you will be blessed by today's message. For more information about Dunwoody Community Church, please visit us at dunwoodychurch.org. That's dunwoodychurch.org. Welcome to another week of Bad Boys of the Bible, learning examples from bad examples. And so today we're going to do someone that I'm pretty confident everyone would agree is not a good example in Scripture, and that is Pilate, the governor of the Roman province of Judea at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. Pilate is the man who actually orders Jesus to be killed. And as you can imagine, since the crucifixion is pretty central to the story of Jesus, the character of Pilate appears in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all record Jesus on trial before Pilate, and Pilate ultimately then uh, giving the order for Jesus to be executed. So we're going to look at Pilate's story in the Gospel of John. So if you've got your Bibles, flip open to John chapter 18. Jesus and Pilate are in John 18 and John 19. But as I said, you can find him in all of the Gospels. And so we'll reference a few of the other things that, that we hear about Pilate as we go along. But turn with me now to John chapter 18. We're going to start reading in verse 28, and we're going to read down to verse 16 of chapter 19. So follow along with me. John chapter 18, starting in verse 28. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now, it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one of the prisoners at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him, give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! 
But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judge's seat at the place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of the preparation of the Passover, and it was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the story begins telling us that Pilate is the governor of Judea. Now, don't think of that like you think of our governors. You know, we we have a governor over our state who is sort of the, the top of the executive branch of that state. He's at the top of the government. Pilate's not a governor like that. Think of him more like an ambassador, but with veto power. So Judea, what we call modern-day Israel, is a province of the Roman Empire. Now, the Romans were pretty much hands-off as long as you didn't give them any trouble and you didn't have anything that they really wanted. And that's true in Judea, that the Romans do not have a large presence there. You know, in, in all of Judea, there's way less than 1,000 Roman soldiers. There's probably only four to 600 Roman soldiers in the entire area of what we would call modern-day Israel. Rome doesn't have a large presence there, and they have no desire to station a large presence there. Judea is not the frontier. The frontier is all the way out at the Tigris and Euphrates River. It is hundreds and hundreds of miles away from there. They don't want to have to bog down their soldiers doing internal work, doing internal defense. They want their soldiers out on the borders, on the frontiers with the other empires and the hostile people. So Pilate doesn't have very many Roman soldiers to back him up if he ever tried to do anything. And he's not attempting to lead the country. He's not the head of state. He's sort of like Rome's ambassador, but again, it's a Roman province. So ultimately he has veto power. He pretty much lets the Jewish people run themselves however they want. They have their own laws. They have their own police force. They have their own religion. They're allowed to do all those things as they want. Pilate is there as Rome's emissary to make sure that those people know what Rome wants from them, which is basically that they pay their taxes and not give the government any trouble, and to make sure that they have a way to talk back to Rome as well. He is like we would say an ambassador. But again, he has veto power, and you see that here in the story. The the Jewish leaders have arrested Jesus, and they have sentenced him to death for blasphemy. Jesus is claiming to be divine. He's claiming to be the son of God. You know, people will say, oh, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. 
Oh, yes, absolutely he did. There's a couple other times in John, both in John 8 and in John 10, when they want to stone him and they say, we're going to kill you because you say you're equal with God. Jesus absolutely claimed at times to divine status. That's what they have tried him for. That's what they have condemned him for. And they want to execute him, but they can't. That is something that Rome will not allow. The local governments are allowed to do most anything they want, but they can't execute people without permission. So they bring him to the Roman governor to try and get permission, to get the Roman governor to carry out the sentence that they want carried out. Now, Rome doesn't care about blasphemy. Rome couldn't care less about your religion or any of those things. That's not going to be a capital offense in the eyes of the Romans. So what they accuse Jesus of is sedition, rebellion. They say he claims to be the king of the Jews. Because of course, there already is a king of the Jews. His name is Herod. He's the king of the Jews because the king of kings, the emperor, has assigned him to that. Only Rome gets to make kings in its empire. So they're accusing Jesus to the Romans of sedition. He claims to be the king of the Jews. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus has never claimed that. I mean, it's true, he is, but he's never claimed that. We've never heard that phrase before anywhere in any of the gospels, except all the way back at the beginning of Matthew. In Matthew chapter two, when the wise men, the magi come, they come to King Herod. It's actually the father of the King Herod, who is the king in the time of Jesus' crucifixion. And they say to him, Where is the one born king of the Jews? That's the only time. Jesus has never claimed that, but it's the only way they're gonna get the Romans to execute him. So they come to to Pilate, they're trying to get him to execute Jesus, to carry out what they have condemned him of because they're not allowed to do that under Roman law. And do you notice, Pilate goes back inside. They won't come into his house because he's a Gentile. That would make them unclean by their rules. So then they couldn't celebrate the Passover that would start that night. So he comes out, what do you want? They have this little dialogue. He goes back into his residence and he has Jesus brought to him, which I think, okay, that's pretty clever. He wants to hear what Jesus has to say. And he asks Jesus straight out, are you the king of the Jews? Now, you know, Jesus being Jesus, he doesn't give him a really straight answer. And how is he going to answer that question? Because, of course, the answer is yes. Of course he's the king of the Jews. But not in the way Rome thinks. Not in the sense of, I'm, these are my people and I'm taking them away from you. Jesus is not leading a rebellion. He's not doing treason or sedition of any of those things. And so, you know, Jesus kind of goes around the question. Pilate questions Jesus, and he very quickly figures out that Jesus is not rebelling against Rome. You know, a week before this, there was what we call Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, where Jesus rides into town and everybody's cheering and jumping up and down. And it says the whole city's in an uproar about this. You know that Rome was paying attention to this. You know that Rome has been watching this guy since he came in a week ago. Because guys that gather the whole province, the whole city of Jerusalem with them, oh, they can be trouble. And the Romans have seen that happen several times over the past few decades. Men have come into Jerusalem claiming to be the Messiah, gathered up forces, and attacked. 
Pilate knows Jesus isn't doing any of those things. He talks to him for a few minutes, makes sure, no, this guy isn't a problem. Then he goes back out, and in verse 38 of chapter 18, he says these words that you'll hear several times. I find no basis for a charge against him. This guy hasn't done anything worthy of capital punishment. Pilate says in one of the other gospel accounts, Pilate will say over and over again, he hasn't done anything worthy of death. I will punish him and then release him. And of course, we know from the story that the leaders keep saying, oh no, absolutely, he has to die. Jesus hasn't done anything that the Romans would kill him for. And so Pilate then, at the beginning of 19, he does what he'd said in this other gospel. He says, I'll punish him and release him. So he has Jesus punished. He has him flogged. The soldiers mock him. The crown of thorns, they beat him. Hail, king of the Jews, blah, blah. Off they go. And then Pilate brings him back out to the guys. So now Jesus is bloody. He's beaten. He's been punished. And Pilate says to him again, look, there's no reason to kill this guy, okay? I've punished him, let's all move on. And then the Jewish leaders say, oh no, no, he must die. This is in verse seven of chapter 19. We have a law and according to that law, he must die because he claims to be the son of God. And you notice it says in verse eight, when Pilate heard that, he was afraid. You see, for the Jewish leaders, son of God is a claim to divinity, And for the Romans, it means the same thing. And there is in Rome a son of God. That is a Roman title for the emperor. The emperors, when they die, they are deified. They are officially declared to be gods. And it's hereditary. One emperor will adopt someone that he thinks will be a good emperor. And then that adopted son becomes the next one. And the emperor, the emperor that's ruling at this point in time, his name is Trajan. He is the adopted son of Augustus, the first emperor. When Augustus died, he was made a god. He was deified by the Roman Senate. Trajan is literally the son of God. To say that Jesus is claiming to be the son of God is to say to a Roman that he's claiming to be the emperor. See, Pilate Pilate has a problem. He knows Jesus isn't guilty of these things. He knows Jesus isn't a problem, but he's got to do something about this. And so he goes back in. He talks to Jesus again privately. Jesus isn't going to give him anything to work with. So this time he brings Jesus out to the crowd. He doesn't just bring him out to the Jewish leaders. He goes out in a public place, brings Jesus. He knows that Jesus rode in a week ago and everyone acclaims him. And he says to the crowd, again, remember, Jesus has been, he's been beaten. He's bloodied. And he says, here's your king. And I think he's hoping that the crowd will say something. The crowd will come to his defense, but they don't. The crowd that just a week ago hailed him as the Messiah, Hosanna, save us, son of David. That same crowd now shouts, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate can't get the leaders to let him go. He can't get the people to let him go. And so in the end, we're told that finally in verse 16, Pilate handed him over to them, them as the soldiers, handed him over to them to be crucified. Pilate gives the order to crucify Jesus. And every single one of the gospel writers notes that Pilate did this. 
Mark will say that Pilate gave in to the crowd. Matthew will say that Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere with the crowd, and in fact, uh, like a, a rebellion, a riot was about to start. Luke will say that the crowd cried for Jesus to be crucified, and they prevailed. Pilate gave the order. All four of the gospel writers note that Pilate didn't want to crucify Jesus, but in the end, he did. Pilate knew Jesus wasn't guilty. He knew Jesus was an innocent man, but he still gave the order to execute him. What do you think Pilate would say if we asked him? Now, again, Pilate's not a Christian, right? We said that about the first three guys. He's not a follower of God. There's nothing in the story that would would let us know that he's a follower of God. So I don't think you're going to get a chance to do this, but if you did, if we could sit down through time and ask Pilate, you knew he was innocent. You knew that what you were doing was wrong. You knew that under Roman law, he should be released. Why did you do it? Why did you sentence him? to death? Why did you give the order? And I think the first thing that Pilate would say is, look, it's not my fault. And in fact, that's exactly what Matthew records him saying. If you have a Bible and want to flip back to Matthew chapter 27, this is when Jesus is before Pilate. And in Matthew 27, verse 21, this is a famous scene you've probably heard that Pilate says, oh, which of these two do you want me to give to you? And they say Barabbas. And he's like, well, what about Jesus? He's the Messiah. He's the king. And they yell, crucify. And they go back and forth and back and forth, crucify. And then in verse 24, it says, Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, that instead an uproar was starting. So he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. I think the first thing that Pilate would say is, oh, this isn't. This isn't my fault. Well, who gave the order? Pilate. Pilate gave the order to crucify Jesus. But you know, we've seen this so often as we've looked at these bad examples that when people do things that are wrong, they know they're wrong. What they always do is try and justify themselves. They try and shift the blame. You know, you've got Cain, you've got Korah, you've got Saul. Remember Saul with Samuel saying, you haven't done what you're supposed to. And Saul saying, oh yeah, absolutely I did. Samuel like, no, you didn't look at the sheep. It's like, oh yeah, I did. It was the soldier's fault. They didn't do it. Like Pilate's doing the same thing that they're doing. I think he'd say, this isn't my fault. Like I washed my hands of it as if that makes it okay. As if the fact that you say to someone else, well, it's your problem, not mine, and then you go and give the order. No, it's most definitely Pilate who gives the order. All four of the Gospels make that very clear. Pilate decides, why did you do what you knew was wrong, Pilate? I think the first thing that he would tell us is, well, it's not my fault. And if we kept pressing him, I think he would say just what he says in Matthew, this is your responsibility. He'd say, the crowd made me do it. The leaders made me do it. I didn't want to do it, but they made me do it. And brothers and sisters, I hear that all the time. I I say that to myself. I hear you all say that. I didn't want to, but I had to. Someone else did something, and so I had to. Again, all four of the gospel accounts of Jesus and Pilate note 
that something went on with Pilate and the crowd. That the crowd was getting out of hand, like it says here in Matthew, that you know, it seemed like there was an uproar. It seemed like a riot was about to happen. And Pilate, again, he doesn't have that many troops. He's got hundreds of troops, not thousands of troops, to deal with a problem. And he's not wrong. About three to four years after this, Pilate will actually get recalled to Rome because there is a riot and he doesn't handle it well. He will be accused of having come down way too hard on people, of having made things much worse by his heavy-handedness. He's not wrong. A riot could be a real problem for him politically. One will be several years later. But he still knew that what he was doing was wrong. He still knew Jesus was innocent. It says he's trying to get Jesus off. He knows that Jesus is no threat. He knows that Jesus has not committed an offense worthy of capital punishment. But in the end, he gives, he gives in to the crowd. Why did you do it, Pilate? You say, oh, you know, they, they made me. I had no choice. I didn't want to do it, but I had to. I had to to stop a riot. I had to to keep these bad things from happening. I, I had to, to to keep my job. I think Pilate would say, I had to. You know, C.S. Lewis, many, many years ago, he wrote a book called Screwtape Letters. It's a great book. I highly recommend you read it because it's written from the standpoint of a demon. It's a demon teaching another demon how to tempt human beings, how to get people not to listen to God, how to get people not to do what God says, to, to keep people away from Jesus. And in that, one of the, 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 the lies He says the most effective lies they have is to tell humans that the only way to stop some temptation, the only way to fix some problem is to give in, is to do what you know is wrong. The demons want us to do this. The demons want us to do what Pilate did, to know that something is wrong, but to look at the situation around us and say, well, it's the, I have no choice. I don't want to. It's not my fault. It's their fault. But I have to do this thing that I know is not right. You know, brothers and sisters, if you ever hear a voice talking to you, a voice in your mind or a voice of someone else saying to you, yep, yes, I know this is wrong, but you have to, don't listen to it. That's the voice of the evil one. Those are the sorts of things that the devil will tell you. Yep, I know it's wrong, but you have to. That's how Satan wants to get us to do what we know we shouldn't do. I think if we pressed Pilate, he'd say, it's not my fault, it's their fault. They made me do it. I didn't want to. I didn't want to do this. You can read that. You can see I didn't want anything to happen to Jesus. I knew he was innocent, of course, but I had no choice. It was the only thing I could do. I had to kill him. I had to do what I know was wrong. And I think if we kept pressing him, that he would say something that that I know I say, and I, I suspect you say as well. He'd say something like, well, you know, my motives were good. I was trying to forestall a riot. I was trying to keep these terrible things from me. If, if there had been an uproar, like it says in Matthew, if there had been a riot, I think he'd say, imagine how many people would have died. 
Imagine how many innocent people would have died in a riot. And I would have to call in troops and there would be fighting. The casualties would be in the hundreds, maybe higher, if there had been a riot about this. Well, you know, my motives were good. I was trying. Yes, yes, I condemned an innocent man to death. Yes, I I didn't want to do it. Yes, it's wrong. But it's so much better than what could have happened. You know, we so, so want to say that because my motives were good, well, then I'm innocent. You can't blame me for doing something wrong if I was doing it with a a good heart. That's what the scriptures say, right? The Lord doesn't look at the externals. He looks at the heart. Yes, brothers and sisters, he looks at the heart. He looks in our heart and knows that we know it's wrong. We know we shouldn't do that. We know it's not right. We know it's selfish. We know it's unkind. We know it's not the way the Lord wants us to act. We know it's something the Lord doesn't want us to do, or we know the Lord wants us to do it. But we don't obey him because we don't want to. We so want to tell ourselves that, oh, you know, I'll, I, I know this is wrong, but, but, I, but I was trying to keep a greater wrong from not happening. That makes me innocent, doesn't it? No. No, it doesn't. Pilate is still guilty. You know, that's what Jesus says to Pilate. He, said, he doesn't say to him, you know, oh, it's fine. Whoever handed me over to him, they're guilty and you're not. Do you remember what Jesus says to Pilate in chapter 19, verse 11, when Pilate says, I have the power to free you or kill you. I have your life in my hands. And Jesus says to him in verse 11, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Did you catch that? Not you're okay, but others have sinned more than you. But Pilate? What Pilate's doing is still sin. Now, remember why we're doing this. We're not looking at these bad examples to kick these guys when you're down. Oh, that idiot Cain. How could Korah do that, right? That's not what we're doing. And we're not even doing this to look at ourselves and say, oh, how could I possibly do that? Although, I absolutely want you to do that. I absolutely want you to look at yourself and say, oh, I do that. Because I know I do. Again, I've told you this in many of the sermons, right? I have the advantage of I've been in this passage for over a week. Um, You're just hearing it in one half hour session. I know I do these things. I know that I do things that I know are wrong and then I self-justify. Then I say, oh no, it's not my fault. It's their fault. Oh, well, well, my motives were good. I was trying to do something good. I know it was wrong, but, but I had to. I do all these things and I suspect you do as well. Like, I absolutely want you to repent of those things and decide not to do them again. But ultimately, that's not why we're doing this. We're doing this because it's Lent. And that means Easter is coming. Each week, we're a little closer to Easter. You remember I've told you before, the good news of the resurrection of Christ. Well, it's good in direct proportion to our acknowledgement of the bad news of our own sinfulness. If we're just people who need a little education, we got some rough edges that need to be knocked off. Oh, well then, sure, Jesus died for our sins. And you know, all five of them, I'm really grateful that he took care of. But we're just like Pilate. I mean, I want you to think. Think of all the things you know that you've done wrong. 
right? Like you, you just admit it. Yep, I did that. It was wrong. Never should have. All those things you know that we're celebrating on Easter, that Jesus died for us, that Jesus died to pay for those things, that, that we don't have to be judged for them. He was judged in our place. But now I want you to think of all the times that you justify yourself. All the times you do things that, ah, you know this isn't right. You know you shouldn't do this. You know that this isn't the way you should be living. You know you're being selfish. You know you're being unkind. You know you're not doing what scripture says. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself. You know you should be engaging here, but, but you're tired and you're not. You know you should be kind to this person, but, but you're busy, and so you're not going to. All the times that we do exactly what Pilate did, all those things, Jesus died for those too, all of them, that they're all gone. I do this every day. I mean, the, the big sins, you know, think about like Cain. Cain murdered someone, right? Okay, I've never murdered anybody. Korah, he openly rebelled against God. I don't think I have ever like, you know, taken my censor and gone before God and, and kind of dared him to do something about it. Saul, right? Saul just flat out disobeys. You can't have those things. Oh, well, I'm gonna take them anyway. He gets told over and over again, I, I hope. I would like to think about myself that God tells me to do something and it's just, just like with Saul, it's just over and over and over again, then I'll do it. But this, something that, yeah, I know, I should go take care of that, but I don't want to. So I'm gonna ignore it. I'm gonna justify myself. I'm gonna come up just like Pilate, just like I imagine Pilate would do. I'm gonna come up with some reason. I'm gonna give the order to crucify him. Because it's just going to be a real, real pain if I don't. I do that every day. And brothers and sisters, I suspect you do as well. And I still do it. Like I hope over the decades that I have known Christ, I hope and I trust that I am becoming more obedient, that I'm bringing more and more of my life in accordance, in conformity to Jesus. But I know I still do this every day. I know I still justify myself. I know I still act selfish. I know I'm still unkind. I know I don't do all the things that I know I should do if I loved my neighbor as myself. I know that I do things I shouldn't do if I was really putting other people's needs on equal par with my own, like the scriptures tell me to. If I was loving the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I know I would have done things differently today. And I know I would do things differently tomorrow that I'm not gonna do. We all know this is us. And the good news of Easter is that Jesus has died for all of that. All of that, those myriad upon myriad, those countless times when we have done just this thing, known that something was wrong, but done it anyway, for whatever reason we justified it, Jesus has died for that. That's good news. Every sin you ever committed, and there are so many you don't even know about. All the sins you have committed today, and again, there are so many we aren't even aware of. All the sins you will ever commit, all the ones you'll commit the rest of today, tomorrow, the next day, all of them, all of your life, all of it taken away at the cross. That's the good news of Easter. So,
Let's close this time first by doing this, by reminding ourselves. I want you to get the bread, get the cup. I'm going to read what I always read to you from 1 Corinthians, but I'm going to pause for a minute after I read it. I'm going to let us sit with it for a few seconds. Like Internalize this. Take this in, that Every single time you have done anything that you know you shouldn't have. Just like Pilate, he knew this was wrong, but he did it anyway. He had tons of reasons, but it was still wrong. Every time we've done that, Jesus has died for that as well. So this is what Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11 as he tells us why we do this. He says, what I receive from the Lord is what I pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Before we take the bread, just take a couple of seconds to remember. Remember our selfishness. Remember our self-justification. Remember the way we put ourselves first. Remember all the ways that we don't obey. And then remember that Jesus has died for us. Just take a moment now, and then I'll I'll tell us to take the bread in just a few seconds. Now, with gratitude, let's take the bread. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So again, before we take it, let's just just pause, reflect, remember for a moment that Jesus has spilled his blood for everything you have ever done, every bit of selfishness, every unkind word, everything. He has paid for all of it with his blood. Let's remember and be grateful for a few seconds, and then I'll tell us again when we'll take the cup. Now, with gratitude, let's take the cup. Now, pray with me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. I, I, I know. I know how true this is about me. I know that though I have never murdered anyone like Cain, that, that I have still done all the other things. I, I, I know that I have never ordered anyone's execution like Pilate, but I have done so many things that I knew weren't right. I've done so many things. I have turned away so many times when I knew you wanted me to engage. I've put myself first so many times when I knew you didn't want me to. I have done so many things you didn't want me to do, and I have left undone so many things that you wanted me to do. And like Pilate, I justify myself. I wash my hands of it. I say, it's not my fault. It's someone else's fault. I say, well, my motives are pure. I didn't mean to do that. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for your forgiveness. And we know what it cost you. You didn't just wave your hands. You didn't just speak out, fine, you're forgiven, and it was over. It cost you. In order to be just, all my sin has to be punished. And in order to be loving, you wouldn't punish me. Thank you. 
We're so, so grateful, Lord. We, it is true. We don't want to be Pilate. We don't want to be people who, who justify ourselves, people who claim that our good motives make us innocent. We don't want to be Pilate and, and wash our hands of things that we know are wrong. But Jesus, I, I know I will again. Help me not to. Holy Spirit, remind me. Remind my brothers and sisters. But still, I know myself well enough to know that I will. Thank you. Thank you that that is paid for, all of it, everything. As we go into Easter, Lord, as we are getting closer and closer, we're just a couple Sundays away. Lord, remind us. Remind us of how much you love us. As Paul will tell the Romans, this is how you demonstrate how much you love us. While we were your enemies, you died for us. Remind us, Lord, for our own good of our sinfulness that we can rejoice in your gracious and freely offered salvation. We, your grateful people, we say amen in your name, Jesus, always in your name. Amen.